0: Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is the College and Kimball podcast. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart. I'm excited to bring you, our loyal listeners, yet another edition of the Know Your Enemy Big 12 Preview Series. We're going to be turning our focus towards the University of Texas today. Will this be a breakthrough year for Steve Sarkeesian, or will his seat get just a little bit warmer heading into 2023? Lots of questions surrounding the Longhorn football program, and I'll be excited to bring on Jonathan Davis of the Locked on Horns podcast to break down everything UT. Before we dive into that interview, a quick call to action to our listeners. Follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. You can find our podcast on all the major platforms. So please follow or subscribe whatever option is available to you on your preferred mode of listening. And if you do have a few extra moments, we would certainly appreciate a rating or a review. Any feedback is greatly appreciated. With all that said, let's turn our eyes to the 40 acres.
1: They fake it to him and pitch it out to the perimeter. And that's Xavier Worthy. The talented freshman's off and running. It's a sprint. They won't catch Worthy. Texas touchdown on the opening play. 75 yards.
0: And that's where they're throwing the ball. And Robinson's got a first down. And what a move. He's gone. Bijan Robinson into the end zone for the touchdown. I'm joined by Jonathan Davis of the Locked on Horns podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Johnzo Ball. That's J-O-N-Z-O-B-A-L-L. Jonathan, a big year upcoming for Steve Sarkeesian after going just 5-7 in his first year as head coach of the Longhorns. Not surprisingly, though, he and his staff rake in a tremendous recruiting class in the offseason. It ranked 5th on the 24-7 Composite. A lot of excitement surrounding all that incoming five- and four-star freshman talent, but fans are really buzzing about a transfer coup and getting former Ohio State quarterback Quinn Ewers to, let's say, flip and come to Texas. Now, a little bit of context there. There's a saga, if you will, in, in this recruitment of Ewers. He originally had committed to UT out of high school. He elected to reclassify committed to Ohio State, went to Columbus for a year, secured the bag and NIL money, and has since transferred and is now back, let's say, on the 40 acres and is engaged in what is purportedly a quarterback battle with Hudson Card. That's where I wanted to start the conversation here. Texas really didn't have any problem scoring points last season. In fact, it was the second best scoring offense in the Big 12, averaging just over 35 per game, 18th nationally in that department. A lot of people think that Ewers, though, can help this offense hit even another gear and take them to a a level they really haven't seen, likely since the days of Colt McCoy or Vince Young. And Hudson Card, his role in this battle, he does obviously have the experience angle. He played off and on last season as Casey Thompson was dinged up, really from the early part of Big 12 play and battled through hand injury throughout the course of the conference slate. Do we think that this battle between he and Ewers is going to wage on terribly long in fall camp? Is it a proposition where maybe Sarkeesian feels these two out through the entirety of the non-conference and hopefully lands on a guy in Big 12 play? It's going to be baptism by fire, really, for either one of those with that big non-con game against Alabama. How do you see this battle playing out over the next couple of weeks as we head into the start
1: of the season? No, I I actually think there's truly a battle. Um, You know, I've said for a while that Quinn Ewers uh, was the starter. Um, I've said that really in the spring. Um, I think he started off a little slow. um, Just with Hudson Card having the advantage being in the system for a year and, uh, you know, Quinn Ewers kind of coming in and and having to learn everything kind of, you know, on the job, right, in in the first year. And, uh, you know, coming into fall camp, I I thought that Quinn Ewers was the leader. Um, But after, I guess what, about five, six practices now, Um, I think Hudson Carter's looked really good. And, uh, you know, I guess I'm giving the Kansas State fans a little bit too much sauce here. But uh, (laughs) Quinn Ewers has struggled with interceptions um, in these practices. So I think that Quinn Ewers will still eventually win the job. I think he just elevates the ceiling of your football team. I think that not only is he the most talented quarterback out of the two, he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the country. And we know that Sark loves the deep ball, you know, and Hudson Carter was not great throwing the deep ball last year. Quinn Ewers has beautiful touch on his deep ball. So um, I think that he gives you the best chance to win. Um, I think he opens up the playbook a little bit more than Hudson Card, and I think he'll win the job. But I definitely think there's a real competition right now. One, because Hudson Card has the experience advantage over Quinn Ewers. Two, Sark has done a good job of making sure that nobody is given anything on this team. They have to earn it. And three, although Quinn Ewers has had some splash plays, He's also had some head-scratching interceptions as well. So I think it's a real competition, but Quinn Ewers ultimately will win out and be the week One starter on September 3rd.
0: He certainly seems to be the one with the higher ceiling, and Texas
1: is truly going to have
0: an embarrassment of riches when Arch Manning comes into the fold next year. But I'm going to keep it locked on 2022 here for the moment. And it's so funny to me when thinking about this UT offense that we almost ignore the amazingly elite talent that is Bijan Robinson, I don't even feel like fans or pundits, anybody really, there's no conversation surrounding him. And this is going to be a guy who's first team all Big 12 and a potentially first day draft pick.
1: It's so crazy that you say that. I never get asked about Bijan like ever. <laughs> like <I don't, laughs> like nobody ever asked me about Bijan Robinson. I have to just end up bringing him up when I ultimately talk about the offense. But I think it's because he's so steady. I think everybody knows he's the best running back in the country and or close to it. You know, I'm obviously talking to the Kansas State fans and some of them are going to be mad that Deuce Vaughn isn't. Uh, you know, I'm not putting Deuce Bond up there at number one, but um, you know, hook him baby. But uh, yeah, you know, I think Bijan is the one constant and you know, he's just so steady. I think everybody knows he's great. So I definitely get way more questions about the quarterbacks than Bijan. I really don't get asked about Bijan enough uh, to be honest. I mean, he's a hell of a playmaker, one of the best in the country.
0: Now, I guess if there was one area of concern along the Texas offense it's probably got to be along the line. Am I am I safe saying that? Or, and I guess what positions in
1: particular have people been most vocal about there being a, potentially a deficiency? This offensive line uh, was a problem last year. I think that, you know, they weren't deep at receiver as well. It was kind of Xavier Worthy or bust. And then the offensive line. But, um, you know, the offensive line is going to be a concern going into the season. That's not to say that they won't be good. It's not to say that they won't turn into a strength or be a formidable unit. But you have to have question marks about this offensive line coming into the season. Right now, I would say that only one solidified starter is Jake Majors at center. I think that Kelvin Banks, the true freshman, a top 35 recruit in the country, um, has come in and he looks like he could compete for that starting tackle job right away. Um, You know, Devon Campbell who was a top 10 recruit in the country. He looks like he can compete for an interior offensive line position um, starting on September 3rd, you know, right away. And then we have some other, you know, of that seven true freshman offensive line class, which was one of the most historic offensive line classes we've ever seen. I think they've all come in and they look good so far because one, they're bigger than the offensive linemen we've already had. Kyle Flood went out and targeted large humans. That's the hashtag we like to use uh, at the 40 acres. And they're huge. I mean, they're all like 6'5", 330 plus. It's crazy. Um, But on top of that, you know, although they've looked good thus far and in fall camp, they're true freshmen. Right. And you don't want to go into a season where there's a million expectations for this Texas team and you have to rely on two or more true freshmen on the offensive line. So definitely the biggest concern on the offense and it will be a concern going into the season. Um, and I think it's going to take into conference play for this offensive line really to mesh and for Sark and Kyle Flood to make sure that they have the five best offensive line on the field linemen on the field. So I think this offense will still be really explosive. Uh, this was a top 20 scoring offense last year with one receiver and <laughs> a deficient offensive line at times. Um, but, you know, you know, still, you know, games are one and lost in the trenches and and right now uh, that's a concern heading into the season. Now you bring up another guy I wanted
0: to hit on uh, Xavier worthy. Who's frankly like just one of the more explosive guys. I remember seeing this dude just pop off against Oklahoma. That was really kind of his coming out part, at least for me. Um, and, and Is there going to be anybody, I guess, alongside him to help kind of shoulder some of that load and eliminate some of those bracket coverages
1: and double teams that he's going to be likely to see this year? Of course. So, you know, last year's, uh, like I I mentioned, really outside of Xavier Worthy, once Jordan Whittington went down in the Oklahoma game, um, it really was Xavier Worthy or bust. I think no other receiver had 26 catches, more than 26 catches Last year, I think B. John Robinson was like the second leading receiver on the team. It's crazy. Tied with um, Winnington for 20, 26 catches. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you pulled that up. Um, so, Jordan Winnington, um, we've heard so much about him in camp, and his deficiency is this, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. That's the only thing. When he's on the field, he flashes. This is a top 50 prospect in the country coming out of high school, you know, coming out of Cuero, Texas, <laughs> you know, this is a top 50 prospect in the country. Right. And so I think a lot of people are raving about Jordan Winnington, the changes he's made to his body and the fact that he'll be able, um, you know, to play a full season. And I think Texas fans know what he's capable of, but I think the world will be able to see it this year. You bring in Tariq Milton, who is your slot insurance uh, behind Jordan Whittington, who hasn't played a full season. Tariq Milton from Iowa State. Uh, who's just a really polished slot receiver and, and, and gives you, once again, some insurance in the slot, but also just a receiver that's a playmaker and is going to play a lot this year as well. Um, you, then you have a Jai Hall. You know, Jai Hall is a bit of a question mark. You know, there were some things coming out of Alabama. Um, there's some things I'm not sure if they're true or not, but a couple of things. I wouldn't say a couple of things. Um, but one Texas reporter has reported that things haven't started off great for Ajai Hall, and I know that he's been shaky in a couple practices thus far. But I've always said, you know, Nick Saban has put six, seven, however many it is receivers in the first round in the NFL draft, including my favorite receiver of all time, Julio Jones, and one of the best receivers I've ever seen in Amari Cooper, although he doesn't always show up on the field. That's another story. <laughs> and he said Jai Hall might be the most talented receiver he ever coached. And so when I hear that, I just say, OK, you know. Sark is going to find a way to utilize him, and you put the ball in his hands at any point, he's a threat to take it to the house. And then you have a Brennan Thompson, who's a true freshman, four-star wide receiver, who runs a 10-2 in the 100. We know that Sark's offense is predicated on the deep ball, play, action, and speed. Doesn't get much faster than a 10-2 in the 100. (laughs) So look out for Brennan Thompson as well. So um, you talked about, you know, you talked about last year how it was Xavier Worthy or Bust. I think that'll be the furthest thing from the truth this year. This team is loaded at the wide receiver position. Um, And I think all 12 teams on their schedule are going to find that out. Shifting gears, looking at the defensive side of the ball,
0: obviously not the way that Pete Kwiatkowski and others wanted (laughs) 2021 to play out. And UT just struggled a lot in a lot of different areas. And I I guess if you had to pinpoint where the most glaring weakness was, what would you say – stood out most?
1: Well, I think the most glaring weakness and is probably our biggest question mark coming into this season is the pass rush. When you get 20 sacks in 12 games, you're not getting any pressure on the quarterback. Now, when you look at it, you can also say the run game, right? I mean, they gave up insane, you know, talk about Austin, Texas, they gave up I 35 size holes, um, you know, (laughs) allowing running backs to come through, uh, you know, that defensive line. And they were constantly getting to the second and third level and just making plays. And, we saw teams like Arkansas, um, Oklahoma State in the second half, uh, Baylor in the second half, really just run them off the field. You know, just continue to run them, um, run them, run them, run them. And and I did an episode recently about time of possession. I do think the defense was on the field uh, way too much last year too. Texas averaged 28 minutes of uh, time of possession last year, which means the defense was on the field for an average of 32 minutes a game. Obviously, that's not a formula for success. And one of the biggest reasons why Texas went five and seven last year. Um, but I think it's the defensive line. You know, I, I think the combination of them being better this year, um, this is the first time in three years that Texas has had the same defensive coordinator two years in a row. So I think they'll just be better period off of continuity. But yeah, the defensive line uh, and that pass rush was definitely probably the biggest weakness last year and is one of the biggest question marks going into uh, this football season. You know, O'Shawn Mathis was a huge priority for uh, Sark and his coaching staff this year um, in the offseason and they missed on him I would say that you know Oshar Mathis was probably the biggest offseason priority behind Quinn Ewers and Arch Manny, right and, and you lost out on him and you have some young guys that you think can step up um, but you don't have that one bona fide guy that you can count on every week to go out there and rush the passer you know like you did with Joseph Osai or somebody like that so um, definitely the biggest weakness last year and something that remains to be seen if it'll if it's been fixed going into the season this year. You mentioned the lack of a pass rush.
0: And one of the big statistics I always look at when I evaluate teams is efficiency. Texas was 101st nationally in defensive efficiency, giving up successful plays on 45.5% of their defensive snaps. Obviously, You would imagine that would be a pretty big point of emphasis for Pete Kwiatkowski as he looks to retool this defense heading into the 2022 season. Now, Texas does return a fair amount of experience from last year's squad. They have 74% of their production returning. That's good for 37th nationally in that category. Which guys have been commanding the most attention, be it for just performance on the field, guys that have been stepping up in the leadership department? Who are some names that we need to
1: keep an eye out for on this UT defense? So I'm going to give you uh, one on each level. Uh, Byron Murphy at D-Tackle, we talked about those big guys up front. Um, Byron Murphy, a sophomore, they just talk about his motor, right? And he's strong as an ox. Uh, But they talk about his motor, and I think he's somebody that's really going to take a jump uh, this year and, and be a formidable part of this defensive line. Uh, Up front. So watch out for Byron Murphy on the defensive line and linebacker Stark went in the transfer portal and got Diamante Tucker Dorsey. Now he's coming from the FCS level to the FBS level. You never know how smooth that transition will go. But he's just a playmaker. He's undersized. I think 510, like, you know, 210, 215. Kind of what we're seeing more of, you know, with linebackers now, just, you know, your smaller athletic playmakers. But listen to the stat line. 110 plus tackles, nine tackles for loss, multiple sacks multiple interceptions and multiple force fumbles that tells me that this is a player that's always around the ball and knows how to make plays on the ball and I don't care if it's at the FCS level or the FBS level he's going to be good because he has the heart and the mentality of an inside linebacker and he's already flashed in, in fall camp he's already had uh, at least one interception and he's impressed the coaching staff as well and then on top of that Sark just talks about his professional mindset so you want to look for Diamante Tucker Dorsey to transfer from James Madison at the linebacker position this year, uh, somebody who's going to be all up in Deuce Vaughn's grill, you know, and <laughs> I think it allows them um, with Jalen Ford too. That's another one. Um, he flashed at times last year, but didn't get a lot of playing time. He's going to be a full-time starter this year. And I think he brings the athleticism um, and the thump that we didn't have at linebacker this, uh, last year. And then also having them two at the linebacker position and being able to trust them to be formidable linebackers allows you to move your best player around and DeMar being over that, you know, kind of off-ball linebacker as a chess piece. I talked about how this pass rush is a concern. You know, P. Kukowski at his press conference said what pass rush, and I definitely think there was some truth to that. You know, I don't think it was just a joke. Well, now, if you can say, okay, I got Diamante Tucker Dorsey at linebacker, I got Jalen Ford at linebacker, Demarbian Overshine, you just go rush the pass on certain downs, just use your athleticism and get to the quarterback. I think that really helps this defense. So Demonte Tucker Dorsey is somebody you want to look out for at linebacker, also Jalen Ford, a full-time starter. And then, of course, you know, Agent Zero is the, the best player on the defense, I would say, uh, at this point and was last year as well. And then at DB, Deshaun Jameson. You know, he's had lapses in coverage, and he's a gambler. You know, I'm a Cowboys fan, so it reminds me a little bit of a Trayvon Diggs, right? But he's also, you know, he already has – as of Saturday in the first four practices, he had already had four interceptions, right? And he's the type of playmaker that you want at corner. You know, he's going to get beat. He's going to give up some yards, but he's the type of playmaker that can change games. And so, uh, you know, he came out and tweeted that this year is personal for him. I don't know if that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing, you know, but I know that he's going to get his hands uh, on a few walls this year. So definitely want to watch out for him um, at corner. Somebody you don't want to try too often because he's liable to pick it off and take it to the house.
0: This is just a high-level question. More NFL draft picks on the offensive side or the defensive side?
1: Definitely the offensive side. I mean, obviously, Bijan is going to be um, a first two-round pick. I think he should be a first-round pick, but you know they've devalued the running back position. I think that Roshan Johnson uh, can be a late-round pick. I think Xavier Worthy's an NFL player. I think uh, Isaiah Nayor is an NFL player. I think Jordan Whittington, if he can stay healthy this season, is an NFL player. And then I think at least – I, honestly, I think Devon Campbell and Kelvin Banks in three to four years will be NFL players. Right now, if I had to look at this defense, I think maybe Alfred Collins off a of potential, but right now he's working with the third team. You know, the issue with him has been consistency. So it's like I, I'm there's no guarantee on how many snaps he's going to get this year to even you know prove that you got a Keandre Coburn who's huge at nose tackle. You always need those big bodies. Uh, so you know he's going to get a chance. DeMarvian Overson. he's going to be you know a, a, a day one or two pick. But outside of that, I can't definitively say anybody else is an NFL player or has put forth the career thus far that's going to be an NFL player. But I think there's and not to mention Quinn Ewers. I think Malik Murphy, um, if he gets a chance to shine, he's going to be an NFL player. I mean, you can't teach 6'6", six, six, 220 and can throw the ball 80 yards. <laughs> you just can't <laughs> teach that. Right? So so I think there's seven to 10 NFL players on the offense. And I could give you three right now on defense. Now, I do have a
0: culture question that I want to ask, and I imagine you know what event I'm going to be drawing a line back to here. <laughs> Looking back at spring ball, there was a media availability session, and fifth-year defensive lineman Mora Ojimo was asked a question about just the new locker room culture under Sarkeesian and so forth, and he provided this answer, quote, They're 18 to 22-year-olds that want to chase women, want to chase money, want to chase alcohol. They don't see the future. They're distracted by what's in front of them. It's such a hard thing, especially guys that haven't been in a winning culture. They're always talking about coming in here and changing stuff. It's like ingrained. You're uprooting what? 10 years of shit? Those are pretty polarizing words. And if you have the right collection of player leaders in-house... That can galvanize the locker room and get guys to buy back in, and it can also cause division. And again, it's been several months since this happened. This was back in April, but was there any chatter about effects in the immediate aftermath of when Ojemo said this, and have there been any reports of the maybe residual effects here in these first couple of days of fall camp? Yeah, of course. of course, Kansas State
1: fans mm-hmm. want to hear there's division in the locker room right now. Nah, man, I'm just curious. <laughs> 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 no, no, but uh, I just think that you know, like Sark said, you know, his intentions were right, his heart was in the right place, but it's just the wrong platform. You know, it's it's one band, one sound. You can't come out there and blast your teammates like that and not only did he blast the team he mentioned specific teammates on the offensive line and so I think that there was a struggle um kind of dealing with that in, in the few days there was reported that there was a little bit of tension you know I mean which is going to happen when uh one of your players goes out there and not only blast the team but blast specific players on the team of course there's going to be some tension but um you know I think Sark was able to fix that and the team was able to rally around that but I think the changing of the culture of this football team started way before that I, I think when you brought in Um, new coaches like Brendan Marion, who coached Jordan Addison um, at Pittsburgh last year, the Blitnikoff winner. You bring in a Tashara Choice, uh, NFL running back who's known for his energy. Um, And and you bring in a Gary Patterson uh, to, you know, assist Sark with what he's not seeing, assist Pete Kakowski with the defense. And we know his track record. He's working with the DBs this year. So I think from a culture perspective and energy perspective, you brought in new energy with the coaching staff. Then we heard players stepping up, taking leadership roles. Bijan Robinson was one of those who said I need to take a bigger leadership role. But really the unquestioned leader of this team is his backup, Roshan Johnson. First of all, he already has a bunch of respect because he came to Texas as a quarterback. He changed to running back out of necessity. He's playing, he played, he started playing running back out of necessity. He came to Texas as a quarterback. He started leading this offseason player-led workouts holding the players accountable. So the players, even outside of the coaching staff and outside of their normal schedule, started getting more work in, and Roshon Johnson was a big part of that. Like you said, moral Ojomo, heart was in the right place, wrong platform, but to come out there and question the team like that and you know, say we need a different energy, we need a different heart, we need we players, not me players, that's the start to fixing what has been the problem at Texas because the problem hasn't been development. I mean, excuse me, the problem hasn't been talent. It's been development and culture i think that we have a coaching staff in place who has a better history of development than we've seen in previous coaching staffs and i think the energy from the new players from the new coaching staff members that are on it and just a team that frankly was disappointing last year a team that shouldn't have went five and seven they're hungry for a big 12 championship this year so um I think in that specific situation, it caused a little bit of tension in the locker room as you can expect when a player calls out other players um, on the team and, you know, acts holier than now in front of the media. But outside of that, you know, there's been a big energy and culture change in Austin, Texas, this offseason.
0: And maybe it's one of those things that ultimately ends up working towards the greater good for the overall vitality of this Texas football program when it's One of the boots on the ground, so to speak, the guys that are in the locker room going through the practices, the workouts, the conditioning, all all the things that occur during the course of fall camp and on into the season. When somebody like that that's trying to to spark the change, maybe that's what ultimately helps that message stick and resonate a little bit more with the
1: guys, the younger guys that are now coming into the fray. The biggest thing you know, is the recruits are saying it. The The recruits are, are coming in and saying there's a different energy. You know, these 2023 recruits, they've, you know, been recruited since last year. So they saw a completely different staff and all of that last year. But the recruits have said um, there's just a different energy around the program. Everybody that covers the team closely has said that. Um, but, you know, once again, we won't know until September 3rd. Right. Because like Sark talked about, Texas was one of the best first half teams <laughs> in college football last year. Right. But it's like When they were faced with adversity, they folded almost every single time. You know, this is a team that lost six games in a row for the first time since the 50s. That tells me that you don't know how to deal with adversity. Right. And when things get rough, you fold. And so we won't know, you know, until I would hope there's no adversity on September 3rd against Louisiana Monroe. But, you know, we won't know until September 10th when they play Alabama you know, we'll see if there's a culture and an energy change, you know, and then moving into conference play, those games are going to be more important for Texas goals this season, as far as getting to a big 12 championship. But um, I, like I said, that's just TBD, you know, we can, everybody's the off season champs, right. <laughs> you know, all the, all the reports are coming out saying, this looks better. This looks better. He looks great. He looks great. I saw a tweet, like a sarcastic tweet where it's like, point uh, point breaking news your quarterback is spinning the ball better than anybody they've ever seen right like it's like that's all you hear out of camp right (laughs) it's like everybody looks better than you've ever seen at the University of Texas but until they get on the field and and have to actually respond to adversity we won't know how different um, the culture and the energy of this team is I think it is I'm projecting it will be Um, but I also didn't project they would go five and seven last year so you know we'll just have to see and you brought up kind of
0: the, no pun intended here, the elephant in the room, the Alabama game that's on the schedule. And uh, you look back just a couple of years ago when, when LSU ended up winning the national championship, they had to go to Austin earlier in the season and and UT was live for that game. And they had a couple of missed opportunities too. and they had every chance really to beat Joe Burrow and and get that dub, but they, they weren't able to get it done. Is there a sentiment that if, if this Alabama game goes sideways, that, this team will remain focused on what can still be a very special season because the Big Twelve's as open as it as as it's ever really been, where Oklahoma is not, you know, one with a bullet playoff contender like. Do the Texas players still understand that there's still so much in front of them,
1: even if they were to drop that game? Well, first, let's talk about this LSU game. You talked about plenty of opportunities. Imagine blitzing your safeties on a third and 17 against guess one of the best route runners in the world in justin jefferson and we saw how that turned out but anyways um i think that that's going to be really important and i think it all comes down to how that game goes because i think it's going to springboard your season in a, in a few different ways the good thing is you have uh utsa after that who's Better than most people realize, but they're still they don't match up talent wise to Texas. I mean, like, you know, let's just be honest. So you should be able to win that game after that and then get into, you know, big 12 conference play and you know be able to win. Um, I can't remember how many games are before Oklahoma, but the games before Oklahoma, they should win, you know. And so but like I said, it depends on how the Alabama game goes. If they go out there and lose 45 to 14, that's the type of game that can. Okay, maybe we're not as good as we thought we were. And you kind of sulk and, you know, you, you you don't come out with that same fire and energy you need to against UTSA in the remaining Big 12 games. If you come out and you lose that game 41 to 38, I think that that gives you the confidence. Look, we can compete with the number te- one team in the country we damn sure better win the big 12 or at least play in the big 12 championship game. So I think that, you know, I think the game will be a lot closer than most people think. I think Alabama will win and I do not think it'll be a three point game. I think it'll be 14 points or less, but I think if they come out there and give Alabama a run for their money and keep the game at least within striking distance until the fourth quarter, I think that's going to be the confidence this team needs to say, okay, if we can do that with Alabama, we should be able to beat any team in the big 12. But like I said, if they go out there and lose, By 30, 35 plus, that's also the kind of game, you know, kind of like we saw with, you know, Arkansas last year that can break you, you know, and even though they were able to win, I think three games in a row after that, I don't think they ever truly recovered from that Arkansas game. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it can make or break you. I think that the game will be fairly close. I think 14 points when you're playing Alabama is close. But, you know, um, like I said, I, I think it just depends on how that game goes. And it's all about the coaching staff. You know, it's the coaching staff's job to make sure that these players are ready to go out there every week and compete. You know, and if they allow that Alabama loss to derail their season, then you know that's on them. But hoping that's not the case. But I think it could go either way. You know, depending on the outcome, I think it could be a game that could derail Texas' season or springboard them to the Big Twelve championship game.
0: I don't think things will go off the rails the way that it did last year with the losing streak. But if Ut does finish six and six, or, or you know misses a bowl yet again. Does does Sark get on the hot seat, or does he even get the chance to come back for your number three?
1: Yeah, so he's he'll definitely be back next year. But I think there's going to be a a lot of very disappointed people. I think when you uh you know look at the inconsistency with Charlie Strong and Tom Herman, I don't think that uh you know this is a team. I don't think that Texas wants to continue to go through this coaching carousel, how they've done with, you know, position coaches, coordinators and head coaches really since the Mac Brown era. Another key thing is, and you know, you call it politics or you want. Players commit to people. They don't commit to schools and Arch Manning committed to Steve Sarkisian. So you best believe that Steve Sarkisian will be here when Arch Manning gets here, but, but make sure those NIL checks (laughs) cash, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but Six and six will definitely have uh, a lot of people questioning if Sark is the right coach, especially with how last year went. Um, and I think the a lot of people think the floor for this team is eight to nine wins. So if they go six and six, um, yeah, it Sark will be probably have the hottest seat in the country going into the twenty twenty three season.
0: No doubt, no doubt. And, and just real quickly here, uh, the schedule at Tech, the conference schedule rather at Tech, West Virginia at home, the neutral game against Oklahoma. Iowa State in Austin, at Oklahoma State, at K-State, TCU in Austin, at Kansas, and then Baylor at home. So again, I, I'd say a pretty favorable slate for UT, a manageable slate given again the talent that they've accrued over the last, you know, several recruiting cycles. And I, I guess it what's gun to the head, what's this team finish at this season? And and you sound pretty bullish about them making the Big 12 title game. So what's the record for
1: UT? And uh, what bowl uh, do you foresee them ending up in? So I think nine and three. Um, I I think nine and three. Uh, I would say Alabama is one of those losses. Uh, Right now, you know, I'm bullish. I I host a Texas podcast. It's hard for me to say anything bad about Texas. But right now you would have to say Baylor, from what they've shown last year and their depth on the offensive and defensive lines, what they've returned you would have to give them the edge, at least right now, until Texas starts playing football and shows anybody different. So not sure how that game will go, the last game of the season. I could definitely see Baylor winning that game. Um, and then I think there's just going to be another loss in there somewhere, whether it's Oklahoma. You know, I I know, you know, Longhorn fans, we hate Sooner fans, and I know we've turned up on them this week for good reason. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's just um, – at the end of the day, I always have a lot of respect for that Oklahoma program. You know, I mean, they've been Oklahoma for a long time. So um, I could, you know, easily see them losing. I don't want to say easily. I could see them losing to Oklahoma or I could see them, you know, losing to Alabama, Oklahoma, Baylor. Or I could see them a team like like Kansas State, you know, who a lot of people have really high expectations for this season. I think West Virginia has got some explosive potential on offense. So, um, you know, these Big 12 teams is wide open and these are rivalry games. Anything can happen. But I'm going to say nine and three Big 12 championship game appearance. And depending on what they do in the Big 12 championship game, I think they may be able to make their way to a New Year's Six Bowl, but we'll have to see. So, But gun to my head, right? I don't have time to waffle. So I'm going to say 9-3, Big 12 championship game appearance, Big 12 championship game win, New Year's Six Bowl for the Texas Longhorns in 2022.
0: It's all out there. And, again, I think – and I've been saying it to everybody that I've talked to, the Big 12 is so wide open this year. And it's – I think – finding out one and two is going to require several tiebreakers. Cause I feel like there's going to be a lot like three or four teams that could be jumbled in there at six and three or maybe who, who the hell knows,
1: maybe even five and four, but we'll see what's what, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully Kansas state plays spoiler. You know, I need y'all to go out there and beat Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma state and, 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 uh... Baylor, you know, give us a clear path to the Big Twelve championship game, please. Uh, then we'll probably see for, you there. Like I was going to say, if you know we beat saying? all of
0: them, we'll probably see you there. So
1: that's true. And I, you know, I mean, we didn't. Uh, you know, of course, this is the the Texas preview, and you know, I talked about B. John Robinson. I brought up Deuce Vaughn, but man, he's a hell of a playmaker. I'm excited to watch him all season.
0: Nah, he's he's been elite. And I, as someone who I, I was a dumb teenager when when Darren Sproles was, uh, and I was getting the chance to watch him pretty much week in and week out when I was going to games, but I had no no real appreciation for how amazing he was and that how his elusive ability was just something that you don't see every day. And the fact that now middle-aged 30 year old, now I get to watch Deuce Vaughn. I'm like, okay, this is, you know, this is God's way of sending another running back our way and getting me a chance to really appreciate it this time around. So I got to make sure I do it, you know? (laughs) And Yeah. uh, I mean,
1: I've, you know, I've always said that, you know, uh, I really started watching Texas you know, in the, the, the I would say the Vince Young era is when I kind of became a college football fan, but when I started like living and dying by the result of Texas games and, you know, don't judge me, I was in high school, but it was the Colt McCoy era, right? You know, so it was like, yeah, like Vince Young just kind of piqued my interest in Texas, but Colt McCoy was when I really was like, okay, I am a diehard Longhorn fan. So, you know, I get it, you know, (laughs) that's the same way, you know, you're watching Darren Sproles, but now you get to appreciate Deuce Vaughn for
0: real. So. For sure, for sure. And uh, Jonathan, just got to thank you again for, for giving me some of your time here to give us the skinny on UT before I uh, cut you loose. Uh, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? Where can they see your content? Go ahead and turn it over to you. Yes, sir.
1: So Locked on Horns, L-O-C-K-E-D, Locked on Horns on Twitter. Also Johnzo Ball, like Lonzo Ball. That's my personal Twitter. Uh, Locked on Longhorns on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. One of the best uh texas podcast in the world and i know most of the people listening to this are going to be kansas state fans so uh, if you ever need a break from this great kansas state content or you know if the week of the texas game you want to see what we got going you want to know who to be scared of and what to be afraid of then come on over to Lockdown longhorns great content for you but uh, once again you know just a, a pleasure to talk to kansas state fans i'm a college football fan above all else i'm really excited for the season um and you know grateful to be brought on this podcast and be able to talk about texas for sure
0: Had a great time talking Texas Longhorn football with Jonathan Davis of the Locked on Horns podcast. As per usual, the summer months are the time to be bullish about UT, no pun intended there. And the rubber's going to meet the road pretty quickly with this squad when they host Alabama week two of the season. And then they've got tricky games in short order after that. They take on UTSA the following week. UTSA went 12-2 and won the CUSA last season. Then they got to go on the road to Lubbock to face a Texas Tech squad that no doubt's going to be out for blood after they gave up 70 points to Longhorns last season. So we're going to find out pretty quickly about whether or not the culture has truly improved in Austin whether or not the mental toughness has been instilled in this team, and if they are truly turning the corner and turning into the program that so many people expect them to be. Again, I think the early part of the schedule is going to be pretty telling as far as what UT is going to ultimately amount to being in 2022. Again, go ahead and follow Jonathan Davis on Twitter at Johnzo Ball, J-O-N-Z-O-B-A-L-L. You can also follow the podcast Twitter account there as well, Locked on Horns. Keep you updated on UT throughout the course of the season. That's going to do it for this edition of the Know Your Enemy Big 12 preview series. Again, we'll be dropping a preview for each and every Big 12 squad ahead of the start of the 2022 college football season Before I cut you all loose, one final call to action. Please follow us on Twitter, at college underscore Kimball. Go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on whatever your preferred app is. And with all that said, I'm going to go ahead and close it out the way that I always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know.